Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. Good morning. Today's scripture is going to be read from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and he being Jesus... Uh, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes began, became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son. The beloved, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came to them and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Amen. Our second scripture reading today comes from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May God have blessings to the readings of these words in every time and in every place. Would you join me in prayer? In these words, God, help us to find new life. In their power, may we be comforted. In their challenge, may we be inspired. And in their hope, May we be turned to wonder as we are awestruck 
with the gift of your mercy. Amen. I love this text from 1 Peter. It is so confident, and it is so sure, and so bold, and so decisive. It's almost bombastic, isn't it? It has a swagger that I wish I had, and so often don't. On first blush, it would seem that the ones who doubt or the ones who suffer need not apply. That this text is for the righteous and for the sure. For those who can sing along to the mighty swells of the pipe organ or to the blare of the trumpet. But that would be first blush. So I just want to remind you that if you're somebody who maybe you mumble through the prayers or if you're someone who wonders and questions and you're not sure what all this means, don't worry too much. This text is also for you. Maybe especially for you, in fact. The book of 1 Peter is written to those in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, amidst great suffering. Which still gives me pause, as it always seems like history repeats itself. And while it might have been written by the historical apostle Simon Peter, scholars today say it's most likely written by a later Christian who bore honor and inspiration from Peter's ministry And imagine what a word from Peter might have sounded like when Peter's wisdom was especially needed. And while we can't imagine such a practice today, plagiarism, oh my gosh, it was very common in the ancient world. So whether or not the historical Simon Peter wrote 1 Peter or a later disciple, here's the reality. The churches who received this needed a word from the Lord And they got it in the midst of their suffering. The suffering of these early Christians seems to be persecution. Persecuted perhaps officially by the Roman Empire. But even more likely by their friends and family. Because they were following the way of Jesus. It might have been persecution with the threat of violence. Or it may have been more the struggles of no longer fitting into a world that didn't know how to handle their peculiarity. These Christians were persecuted or struggling because they were not especially patriotic. And they didn't honor the Roman gods in addition to the God and parent of our Lord Jesus Christ like a good Roman would do. Because good Romans can keep whatever gods they want as long as they recognize all of them. They were persecuted or struggling perhaps because they were living into a different way of sharing power between slaves and enslavers, between women and men. Because after all, Christianity is fine when they're just praying and singing. But when those followers of Jesus start changing the fabric of social relationships, well, that's a bit dicier. They were persecuted or struggling because of this good news. And this new community, the church, which suddenly gives so much yet demands so much from these Christians. A place of solace that might also be a barrier between the followers of Jesus and their families and friends who they still love and are still loved by. 
but cannot understand this devotion and this love and this dedication that they don't share. Into these struggles and this persecution and these trials, into this time of deep sadness and fear, first Peter comes out singing. Blessed be the God and parent of our Lord Jesus Christ. By God's great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a mouthful. But here's what's so amazing about that sentence. It's all true. And it doesn't require anything of us to make it true. Everything in those first two grandiose sentences that first Peter sings with reminds them, and incidentally us, about God's work, not ours. Can't change it. Probably wouldn't if we could. It depends not on us, but on God's great mercy. Our work is just what follows. As verse 6 says, in this you rejoice. That's the only thing that this passage tells us to do. The rest of the scripture reading goes on to tell us the effect of this faith, which is a gift of God. The rest of the scripture reading goes on to describe how this suffering is being transformed into praise and honor and glory. But the only thing that the people who are persecuted are struggling are experiencing in this time of trial, the only thing they are instructed to do is this. Rejoice. That isn't to say it's easy, but at least we know the one instruction. Rejoice. And it's not easy. Not all the time. That's been hard for me to do this week. I've been a bit blue, one might say, as I often am around this time of year. February is horrible for my mental health because I wish that the weather didn't affect it, but it certainly does affect my mood. It's been busy in my life, and I bet it's been busy in yours, but what's really been getting me is grief, which is like waves in the ocean, little ones you can manage and surf upon. The little ones are even comfortable in their time, but sometimes the big ones will roll you over out there in the sea. But I've been missing my mother. And this part of today's sermon is terribly self-indulgent, so I'm just warning you now. But in my family, we have very happy news that my brother and sister-in-law are expecting a child. And we are so excited. And I've been missing my mom, too. As most of you know, my mother died when I was 16. And I did the math this week. I'm a few days away from that poignant time when my mom will be gone longer um, in my life than she was present. But then I did it for my brother, and that day will happen this year, about a month or so after his child is born. And we all die in the end, and I know that, but good golly, it doesn't make it any easier to know it, does it? Someone this week at church shared with me that she had a dream of her mother who is also deceased, and 
She asked if I ever had dreams of my mother, and I could scarcely speak, because although the circumstances between me and this church member of our lives are pretty different, and our mother's death is pretty different, we both ended up crying, because yes, I've had those dreams. And the ones I remember most vividly are the ones where, uh, are, there's one that I remember particularly vividly, where my mother happily remarried, and we all sat around a diner table of a pooky little diner, and we enjoyed nothing except each other's love. And for a moment, the terrible thing never happened, and she was healthy and present. Those dreams are comforts when they happen, but they end so fast. And I have so much sympathy for Peter this year as we return to Transfiguration Sunday, this last Sunday before Lent begins. Kyston read the traditional gospel text where Jesus and Peter, James, and John tromp up the mountaintop. And normally Jesus does things like this on his own, but this time he brings along three others, three disciples. And in the glory of dazzling light, everything changes. As Moses and Elijah join, and the voice from heaven pronounces, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. They must have felt like a dream to Peter. And just like a dream, it was over as fast as it began. I don't want fault Peter for wanting to build up some dwellings so that this special moment that transcends time and space would keep just a little longer. Because we know what it's like to want little moments to last just a little longer. Now, as texts go, the transfiguration narrative from Matthew is nothing like what we read from 1 Peter. One is a mysterious story, while the other is a confident, instructive letter. But despite their differences in style, they have a great deal in common in substance. They're both about this man, Jesus, who is not just a carpenter from Nazareth, but the Christ, the Son of the living God. They're both telling about this duty of rejoicing, of worship, of Jesus telling us to get up and do not be afraid. And in their background, they both have suffering. First Peter, because of the suffering that's being experienced in the Christian community, which I detailed earlier, but Matthew as well because the road down this mountain will lead to an end a way called suffering the road down this mountain will lead to a place called the skull or golgotha where innocent jesus will be hung up on a cross the rejoicing comes with the suffering Today, we end our worship series, Imagine a World with More, and we're ending by imagining a world with more resurrection, more new life, more life renewed, more healing, more salvation for us and for all. But here's the thing about imagining a world with more resurrection. It requires first that something has died. More resurrection acknowledges that death and pain and suffering have preceded it. I don't have to tell you we're all going to experience suffering. You know that. You already know that. We are so fragile in these bodies. We are so tempted by power or greed or both. We are so afflicted with persecution or struggles or trials. Big ones and also the everyday garden variety. At any given point, we are in the waves of grief. 
as a congregation or a nation or a world, then it probably always feels a little bit like this. Not just in the February doldrums of gray skies and chilly winds. It's hard to talk about suffering, especially as a preacher, because I don't want to do two errors, which is to valorize it or to diminish it. Sometimes our suffering doesn't have a meaning. The book of Job is helpful in teaching us that. So it's hard, even when sometimes we ascribe meaning after our suffering, to remember that not everybody's suffering has a meaning. Maybe not now, maybe not ever. So we can't valorize it. And we also should never diminish suffering. Because if we did, we might not alleviate it when we can do so. And suffering should always be alleviated when we can do so. There is no silver lining so great that suffering should be allowed to continue when we have the power to stop it. But what I think 1 Peter 1 does get right about this topic is that it's the voice of a friend to friends. When this letter is received, it wasn't from the unhelpful friend who wanted to say, now, now, everything's going to be okay, you whiny church. It came from someone in the Christian community, writing to the Christian community about an experience they were sharing. It was the words of someone in the exact same boat. And resurrection, or new life, or healing, or salvation happens right there when they receive the letter. It happens in this letter because it was the words of life, and it said, what I know to be true is that God has given us this gift of faith. My job and your job is to sing about it. And so the author of 1 Peter does sing about it. He rejoices. He tells of the goodness that is true even when the terrible thing happened or even as the terrible things are still happening. That is what resurrection sounds like. This week, someone asked me about how I made it through my mother's death. Her son and I have some commonality. We're separated across a generation. I told her the truth as I know it. It's a lifelong project, grief. I'm not over it. Probably never will be. Losing a parent when you're young, for whatever reason, is hard, and it marks you. Therapy helps, and I really wish I'd gone sooner than in my early 20s when I did, because I could have avoided some more suffering when I was a teenager if I had done so. But regret's not very useful most of the time. I had people who loved me. My dad and my brother and my grandparents and my family and my friends and my church helped so much. Church helped a lot. God helped a lot. That's my resurrection story. That's my rejoicing story. And I bet you have one too. Or maybe you will one day. Maybe your rejoicing will come from a different place. But as we look and imagine a world of more resurrection, we don't always know what the suffering might mean one day. And only someone who really lacks compassion will tell you what that death or persecution or struggles or trials must mean. But if we take 1 Peter seriously, then we just might believe that we sing about our own resurrections. And if we listen closely to each other, we will catch the sounds of those rejoicing songs, even in this room, of what happened after or even during the terrible thing. 
If we are willing to get close, even or especially in the midst of heartache, we can hear what love sounds like. We can hear about that love of Jesus who we do not see, but in whom we love and believe. If we continue to do our part of singing the truth as we know it, then it just might be that we can be part of the way in which God brings about the outcome of our faith, the salvation, the renewal, the healing of our souls. It just might be that God can bring more resurrection to us. And I'm even willing to say, it just might be that God can bring more resurrection through us too. Amen.